Welcome to Strong Points, Weak Points, the Daniel Amos, Terry Taylor podcast extravaganza. And my name is Samuel, and I am on the line to you. And I'm Aaron. And even the guys with the muscles cried, the tide is rising. Yes, yes, yes. All right. um, We are here with our third episode for Daniel Amos and um, the the first good album, maybe. Yeah, definitely. Possibly. Um, definitely. I'm not going to lie. Those first couple albums were kind of rough. Like they had, okay, Shotgun Angel had one or two high points. Um, Yes. So, but this, I feel like actually, actually passes for something that you could convince someone they want to listen to. Yes, more than once. <laughs> more than once. Um, this is Daniel Amos's 1980 album, Horrendous Disc. Um, and we actually have a lot of the... It's interesting that this is such a new sound album because we have a lot of the returning people. Terry Taylor's back, of course. Jerry Chamberlain is back on guitars. Uh, Mark Cook is back on keys. Edmund Taggart is back on drums. And then we have, I can't remember if he was in the Shotgun Angel album or not, but Marty Deckmeyer is on bass. And then there's six guys in the cover. And on the linear notes, Alex McDougal is listed as percussion. So I don't know if he was the sixth guy on the cover or if that was maybe um, Larry Norman. I'm not sure. Um, so this album was recorded, um, on solid rock records. This was Larry Norman's personal record label that he made. And I have the version of the album I have is it's all about that solid rock. Like, um, (laughs) there's a whole bunch of like essay notes inside it written by Larry Norman. And it's less about Daniel Amos and more about the record label and how cool the record label was and how they were practically giving away, losing so much money by trying to help artists be the best they could. Um, And I don't know if, you know, probably it's true, but it feels very um, toot my own horn kind of thing to take overly serious. So. And Marty was on Shotgun Angel. I just looked it up. He did play bass on that. Okay. So really, it's the whole entire band returning from Shotgun Angel mm-hmm. at this point. They just all decided to have a sound change. The version I had, um, okay, so I originally, like I think I mentioned in the first one, I discovered Daniel Amos with Mr. Beatner's Dream in my 20s, and then I went backwards. So I don't know um, when I got this album, but um, I think last year or a year or two ago, I sold the CD. I don't have the CD anymore. And so I recently got the ultra rare vinyl deluxe box set, which um, is different from that CD version <laughs> you're talking about. Um, oh, yeah. There's a lot of stuff in there that we'll get to as we go throughout this. So, All right. So, Sam, what are you? So tell us your background with this album. All right. Um, well, as I previously mentioned, um, I... This is the first Daniel Amos album I own. Really, it's the only Daniel physical album I own by Daniel Amos. Um, I found it back on a sales rack for 25 cents at the Christian bookstore and picked it up with like five, six other albums that I still love today. Like those six albums I picked up are still some of my favorite albums. I don't know if it's just because they hit me at the right point in my musical life or if they were really just that good and I got that lucky. What were the other ones? Um, so the other ones was A Whole Nother Deal by Waterdeep. Okay. Um, Between the Fence and the Universe by Kevin Max. Okay. Um, the, why can I not think of it? It's a PFR album where they went into the Bookhouse recordings, where they went and re-recorded a whole bunch of their songs. Okay. And I actually prefer those versions, but once again, it's because it hit me in the right time in my life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. I feel like there was another album. I probably, oh, it was it was another Waterdeep album. They're live at the New Earth. I don't know any of those albums, but all right, cool. 
<laughs> well, you okay? So you like underground music? You yeah. Should check out Waterdeep. They're totally worth it. Okay. But anyhow, um, what is your background? That's kind of my background with this album. I picked up this album, loved it instantly. I uh, you know try kind of trace Daniel Amos here and there. And yeah, how okay. about you, Aaron? Um, like, so I briefly mentioned, yeah, I got Mr. Beat News Dream. I'm sure this is one. I'm pretty sure that I got the Alarma. Um, I ended up having the book set, the box set. I'm not sure if I got the individual albums first or not, but I know Alarma was next because from everything, once I listened to Daniel Amos, Mr. Beat News Dream and everything, I was talking about how great Alarma was. So I'm pretty sure I went there first and then you know filled in from there i'm not sure at some point i got this album uh man so this is like 2006 i say is when i got into daniel amos so wait yeah that's about right and so yeah i mean i've listened to this album a few times i didn't really listen i remember not really like being into it but then when we started doing decided to start doing the podcast, I got this. I was like, oh man, I went to go look for a seat. I don't have it. I was like, oh crap. So I got the 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 vinyl. And I listened to it. I'm like, man, this is better than I originally thought it was. Cause I, I remember not really looking forward to hearing it. But when I got it and listened to it this month, I was like, wow, this is a really good album. <laughs> now, it's worth noting before we get into the song by song commentary. This album has a unique production history. Um, mm-hmm. So yes. I'll tell you the way uh, Larry Norman tells the story in his CD booklet. And maybe you can tell me if the notes on the vinyls contradict or give any additional information. That's Long cool. story short, um, the their parent company was Word Records, probably the biggest Christian music label of the 80s. And um, they produced this album on solid rock slash word records and then word records didn't want them to produce alarma they just said no we don't want you to do alarma even though daniel amos was independent and that's why this story doesn't quite make sense to me but um so larry norman's like hey maybe if i drag my feet producing the artwork on this which the artwork is basically the band standing in front of some buildings i mean it looks cool enough i guess i kind of dig some of the like, 70s clothes um, with, with the superimposed disc slash ufo on the cover the, the yeah mm-hmm. and so he said what if i drag my feet and it will kind of build up some controversy and his he was going with the you know um there's no such thing as bad publicity and that way by the time alarma gets finished will release this album right about the same time and um, they can get a lot of exposure for Alarma. Well, what this really ended up doing was make the band tour for two or three years with no record. (laughs) And so they're playing all these songs and their fans had no way to get to them. And um, lo and behold, finally the album came out like a day before, I think on most record stores, the day before Alarma was released. And it was just a, it was a bit bizarre. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, the notes in the vinyl um, don't really go into detail. I don't know if that's just out of respect because when this came out, Larry Norman was, had passed away or if they're silent for different reasons. But yeah, they basically, which none of that makes any sense, obviously, because <laughs> that's not how you do production or like hype in a band. Like, oh, here's here's a completely different sound you heard before. And now the next day, here's another I, one. I, I think he was going for how the Beatles release Let It Be before Abbey Road. Or no, mm-hmm. vice versa. He released Abbey Road before Let It Be. But mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Daniel Amos aren't the Beatles. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'd say they're better than the Beatles, but whatever. Um, I'll fight anybody over that. But I mean, not, I just mean so, like on a I popularity level. True, 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 true. Um, but yeah, so it does say that. But then also, so the recording for this started in 78, um, the songs, and then like around 79, they were completed. And so it's in, in, the, in the linear notes for the box set, it talks about how they didn't know what was going on. It seemed weird. But it, 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 they don't really say what exactly was going on. So, 
we'll take Larry Norman as a word. Um, but that aside, at the same time, though, in like 79, what they were saying is that they were getting some industry buzz and they did a showcase. I can't remember the name. The, it, was, it, was a bit, it was one of the big companies. Um, and um, so that they recorded the 10 big ones, which is included in the box set, but is not. Um, none of the songs are on the horrendous disc um, box set. And I'm going to say this since we're talking about it now. The 10 big ones, way better. All those songs are better than anything on this disc. I wish they would have put that out, but I see why not, because as we'll talk about it, um, Daniel Lemus has a, a history of trying to be um, artful over Christianity, all not rejecting it, but artistry is more important. And those songs were very devoid of any religious city for better or worse but sounds really great um so i don't know if they were going for the big time <laughs> with that but nothing came of it um um but yeah if so it's called 10 bigger ones um if you haven't heard those songs check them out they're really good um so yeah i think that maybe again. we'll review them someday <laughs> Yeah, and then also during this time, before hearing this disc, um, the, the idea for the album was to do a concept album on um, cults and religion called 3D, since it's Daniel Lemus' third um, album, 3D. And one of the songs, Man on the Moon, which we'll discuss, was on that. That's the only one that survived. There's a few that are included in the um, various um, configurations of the horrendous disc deluxe um editions on cd and on um, vinyl um but none of them besides man on the moon are on horrendous disc so at this time basically oh yeah there was another ep called <laughs> oh gosh it was, it was like it was like three albums and two eps worth of stuff during this 78 to 80 um 81 81 when this album came out so this is like daniel amos is on sign of the times um period like prince and he had multiple albums still in about and one came out eventually. <laughs> okay, I'm glad for that context. We'll get to it when we get to Man on the Moon, but that yeah. makes that song make so much more sense. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get there. So there's more, there's a lot, there's like, there was a lot going on in this album, um, during the recording of this album, um, and we'll get to some of the stories and stuff, but yeah, it sounded like they were, it was, this, this seems like this is the creative spark that set them on the trajectory, because, like, okay, so... After this album, I'm, I finally get to start singing the praises of Terry and the boys and let them know how amazing they are because it seems like this is the period that incubated that creativity and talent that, that just carried on for the rest of their, their time. So this, yes, it's the first, in my opinion, the first Daniel Lemus album. <laughs> That's fair. Um, this is definitely the first album of their kind of them as we know them. Um, it's, you know, kind of like Genesis just wants to pretend their first album didn't happen, right? Yeah. Or Only Katy. Or, or Katy Perry, yeah. Oh, what was her name on that other album? Wasn't, it Katy, wasn't Katy Perry? Yeah, no, Katy Perry. Um, she had a Christian album. Yeah, no, but... I, thought she, I thought she went by Katy Perry. It wasn't Katy Perry. No, no, it was her actual birth name. I just can't remember what it was. Okay, yeah, but yeah. You got hundred dollars to get one. I guess she bought them all up when she got famous. So, <laughs> all right, <laughs> all right. So let's go into this. Um, I will say up front, and I'm going to talk about it throughout this album. They took a lot of cues from Abbey Road on this album, like. <laughs> And that's my favorite Beatles album, so I just find it fascinating. And they're like, it's, "Hey, you know this ten-year-old album that." is probably still really popular. Let's kind of do a Christian version of that. Man in the Moon gives me strong Beatles vibes, which we'll get to, but whatever. All right. So we open up with, um, I would say, their first real rocker. I Love You, number 19. So Aaron, lay it on me. What do you got? All right. Well, do you know the story behind the title of that song, how they got I Love You, number 19? I do not. Tell us away. Well, apparently Terry and Jerry, Terry and Jerry, the Terry and Jerry show, um, they were outside of some record store or something. I think it was a record store. And that had back in, the, I guess, in the 70s, got a list of like all the songs or whatever or records. And I guess you could like order them. I guess that's how they did it back then. But anyway, so they counted 
there was at that time 18 songs titled I Love You. And so this song, they're like, oh, this is number 19 then. <laughs> nice. Actually, that story rings a bell. I must have read it somewhere. Yeah. I, I, yeah, it's different places. But so the opening 20 seconds, that guitar, like you're saying, that guitar riff, you know, this is a different sound. I mean, if you were, if you just heard Shotgun Angel on the first day of this album, you knew, oh, wow, this is not going to be Jehovah, Jesus is Jehovah to me again. Um, it's definitely the heaviest guitars laid down by on a Daniel Lima's song at this point. Um, I don't like the sound of Terry's voice here, though. It sounds thin and echoey. I don't know. I just don't really like it, the vocal effect there. I do love the vocal explosions um, when um, by Jerry when Terry sings, I love you. It's like a riff, guitar riff throughout the song. Um, a minute, 37 seconds is a good example of it. Um, great guitar solo breakdown at two minutes and two seconds. It's really great. And Mark, his, um, his, the melody he plays on keyboards throughout that section, the breakdown, I mean, it's just I'm lovely. I, I dig it a lot. The drums are thick and relentless throughout. It's a great opener to this album and to the new Daniel Amos. It's like a, the song to me feels like a declaration, a mission statement of this is what we're going to be doing going forward. Um, they definitely burnt the cowboy hats with this song. Um, Three stars and my fifth favorite song on this album. What do you think? Okay, so uh, my first my first note was that intro, though. Mm, mm -hmm. I love it. Like I remember turning it on, and you know when I first got this album, I knew nothing about Daniel Amos. I knew nothing really about old school Christian rock. You know, I was mm. um, I was that CCM kid who who uh, went straight from Newsboys to Under Oath, right? I didn't really get into a lot of the history other than Keith Green. So, I didn't get Keith Green until after Daniel Amos. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, you are, are correct. Yes, um, Keith Green was actually right around this time is when he was recording. This was yeah. his high point. Yeah. But um, so that classic 70s rock sound, I wasn't familiar with it back then, but I loved it. I still love it. Um, have some great bouncy piano work to contrast the heavier guitars than heavier than anything else they've done. Um, and I'm not as familiar with the band, but would you do you think maybe um, Terry's trying to do like a, a Rolling Stones thing with his voice here? I'm not too familiar with them either. Mm, I don't know. I from what I've heard of them, I can kind of hear some of that in this possibly i just know, I just know satisfaction sympathy for the devil maybe yeah. a couple others mm -hmm. maybe mm -hmm. yeah kind of reminds me a little bit of that yeah. um so it, and you're I, right and i the rolling stones so that that could be it <laughs> yeah um so it's you're right it's musically speaking it's a declaration of hey we're different now you know Pit up the cowboy hats. We're going for a ride, kids. Um, maybe by this point they were hoping that, you know, all the parents just trusted the Daniel Amos name enough just to buy the albums. <laughs> and so the kids could just listen to their music and enjoy it. Oh, and I didn't mention uh, the lyrics too. Like, like they're they're more vague than the very specific lyrics in the first two albums, too, which I appreciate oh, yeah. a lot. Because since this is a song about Jesus saying I love you, but I mean, you could also take it many different ways, but so I, I do like the vagueness of it. Um, I like the simplicity of these lyrics. This is almost um, Jason Martin-esque in how yeah. simple they are. Um, but the theme of the lyrics is really straightforward and honestly echoes First uh, John 4 a lot, where it talks about we love because God loves God loves us, therefore, you know, because of that, we can love. And um, even if you don't believe in gospel or Christianity or whatever, the idea of loving others because you have been loved first, passing forward that love, is a great theme. And I think anyone can relate to that really easy. And, you know, sometimes you just need to hear someone say, hey, I love you, right? You, just, you need yeah. to hear that every once in a while. Exactly. So, great opener. Hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. 
It is. All right, Hound of Heaven. What's up, Sam? All right, Hound of Heaven. I remember the first time I heard that intro. These first two songs nail the intros. Yes. Um, but that piano. Dun dun. Dun dun. This was also right when I was going through my phase where I really liked that kind of. Um, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like dark gospel is kind of how I describe it. It's like a uh, kind of more soul or jazz version of gospel. And mm-hmm. this, that piano really reminds me of that. And, um, and then just the dun, 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 dun. Yeah, just, oh, it's so good. Such a great intro. Um, ramps up the heaviness of I Love You Number 19. And just kind of continues on. Um, this is a much more explicitly Christian theme. In fact, <laughs> the idea of um, rich or poor, because they give two stories. You know, one's about a rich guy, one's about a poor guy. Mm-hmm. And in both instances, God is seeking your soul. And as a Christian, you know, a kid who grew up in um, who grew up in church, I totally, you know, get this idea. I, I relate to it. I've heard all my life, but now that I've, um, you know, been around and read other people's stuff and such, taking it out of context of Christianity and just reading about, you know, someone is seeking your soul, rather you like it or not, it can sound kind of creepy. And I understand (laughs) that now, (laughs) Um, but the music more than makes up for uh, the the sort of uh, creepy Christian lyrics, I guess. Yeah, the title is up to the Hound of Heaven. Hound used and the seeking that usually has a different connotation that's also creepy too. Yeah, no, like the Hounds of Hell, right? Or, like a... uh, or sexual pee hound. Oh. Fair yeah. enough, fair enough. <laughs> so, all right, so, um, that's all okay, right. So, I love the various percussive sounds in the background throughout the song. The bass. You talk about the piano in this. No, it's about the freaking bass. Are you kidding me? Marty is effing this bass up. You're not wrong. It's a great bass line. Oh my gosh. Look, I'm black and like a good bass line is just catnip for me. Like it's just the lyrics are obviously about Jesus seeking out the loss, um, like you were you, you mentioned, but all I hear is the bass in the groove between the drums and bass. I don't care what Terry's singing about. He could be singing about the freaking I don't care. The futons, I don't care. I'm just listening to that groove. It's so good. Um, with this song, DA proved that you could you could write an overtly religious song and still make it sound original and timeless. Because even today, like it doesn't sound dated to my ears anyway. Um, um, this song is a three-star song for me, but with the bass, it makes it a four-star song. Just the, the bass alone gets its own star and the, negates the lyrics, which I don't really care about. Um, it's my second song in this album. You know, it's funny you say it doesn't sound dated. It sounds dated to me, but in a totally good way. And it's funny because we talk all the time of, hey, they should, someone should sample this song or this song. This song should be sampled. Mm-hmm. That bass line alone is worth yeah. sampling. <laughs> okay, when I say not dated. It, it's like when you listen to a, a, a Stevie Wonder song like um, um, Superstition. Okay, obviously it sounds 70s. But it doesn't sound like, oh, it's like a, a 70s song. It still sounds good. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. Like, yeah, it's like that. <laughs> All right. Um, go ahead and tell me how you feel about Nearsighted Girl with Approaching Tidal Wave. <laughs> that's how it's written. That <laughs> that's like, for now, for whenever I read that song, that song title, that's what I'm going to hear in my head now, the same things. <laughs> I love the beat of this song. It's very bouncy and danceable. Love that. Rah, rah. It's like at the beginning. Rah, rah. Sound. I don't know what that is, but I really love it. And cowbell, freaking cowbell. Um, I love the way that Terry sings these lyrics. Um, love how he changes his tone and tempo throughout. He doesn't sing it in the same tempo. You know, it changes throughout. Um, the chunky drums musically are the highlight here. Um, I do love the mariachi band interlude. There's a story about that mariachi band. You want to hear it, Sam? Sure. Go for it. 
So, um, so they're so when they're recording like a, a bulk of this album, they knew it was going to be a long night. So they the band shows up in pajamas because they were going to sleep there in the studio and then go out the next day for like pancakes or whatever. So, um, <laughs> so they. I don't know who gets the band, but they they get a mariachi band who and only one member of the band can speak English. And so the band's talking to telling them, you know, we're doing we're we're a Christian band. We're doing this song. That's what we need y'all to do. And like give them musical direction. And so the guy, the English guy is communicating to um, the pe- members of the band. One guy who's like an older. Um, I don't know if he was what his nationality was. Um, he was Guatemalan, Mexican. I don't know. But he didn't speak any uh, English very well. But he felt it too because I guess they heard some of the music that the band was playing, and then them in the pajamas and the whole situation just seemed weird. He thought it was sacrilege, and just he communicated to the guy, "I'm just out. I don't." It was a pay. They were getting paid for this. He was like, "I don't want the money. I just can't do this because it's too sacrilegious." <laughs> and he just left. <laughs> oh man, pajamas and allegory <laughs> is sacrilegious. <laughs> Okay, so and that yeah, that's that's a story that's in the box set vinyl. So there's a lot of stories like that, and get it if you can. All right, so once again, Jerry comes through with great guitar solo. Love the drum breakdown at two minutes and four seconds. I really dig the um, how the music changes throughout the songs at the same tempo or um, throughout. They do a great job of making it sound cohesive and not messy, just like from future songs like Horrendous Disc and others. We'll get to. Um, and then the line, even the guys with muscles cry, even the guys with muscles cry, the tide is rising. I just love that. I laugh every time I hear that. It's <laughs> in my mind, I just hear these big muscle, like bodybuilders, like Tony Atlas or Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, oh, the tide's rising. They're like crying. It cracks me up every time. I love it. Um, and then the ending. Oh my gosh, at the end, when um, with the tides coming in and, um, Belongo, she tried to swim. She couldn't in the end. <laughs> so she just dies. And I'm like, oh my gosh. In in the past years, Don Daniel has had songs about the end of the world and the apocalypse. But this one was more specific about one person. And it's um and it makes it super impactful when you talk about death on, a, on an individual basis. And so like when I hear that song, it is just you he paints a good picture of a California day, you know, endless summer, Beach Boys. And this song's a nightmare of that. Um, and of course, there's thoughts about the um, the shallowness and superficialness of life and the vanity and how the person and persons in this song are focused on those things and how the tidal wave of death, obviously the metaphor there, is um, coming after them and they're just oblivious to it. And then in the end, um, they were trying to live when they were dying, it was too late. They just couldn't swim. And so to me, when it says that, you know, she tried to swim, she couldn't in the end because she never learned how to live. She died without living. And it's so, I'm just like, man, that's so dark, man. <laughs> Love it, though. Three and a half stars, my third favorite song on this album. <laughs> this may be my favorite song on the album. Okay, I can I can see that. Um, I, I really dig this song, so let's, let's hop into it. Uh, musically, a couple of highlights. Um, obvious Beach Boys homage, right? You can't do a a yeah. song about the beach without yeah. referencing the Beach Boys. It's just it's, it's illegal. From California, and they're from California, too, so. right? Like you, you will be lynched and chased out. Yeah. Um, and that fun Latin guitar you mentioned with the foreign language, and I actually I, I couldn't resist. I, I threw the foreign language into Google Translate. And it translates as our honeymoon, hey, emptiness, meek, divina, which which um, translates as at fault. Women, we are kissing, dancing the swim. Yeah, that that is in the lyrics. Um, box set. Yes, that's yeah. <laughs> I just I forgot that. Yeah. <laughs> I I just find that funny because like I th- I feel like there's something lost in translation there. Like they well, were, because I mean, yeah. I know they're they're referencing the part they just got done talking about, where she's fantasizing about her boyfriend and being married in France um, mm-hmm. and dancing and stuff. But it just 
it doesn't quite translate to a coherent English sing- sentence. And I found that hilarious. It usually doesn't. And that's why language is hard and with translation. And <laughs> it's very rarely because it's not literal. And so things get lost in translation. Like it's raining cats and dogs. You can't translate that to any language. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Not in that>. <laughs> um, on a, Speaking of the lyrical, I really love the ma- metaphor here. Um about at least as i interpreted it you're living so in the present you ignore everyone warning you that bad things are coming Um, Mm. you're so focused on the here and now and like you said shallowness vanity and this big tidal wave of bad things is coming and like throughout the song all the people on the beach are warning this girl hey bad things are getting ready to happen big tidal wave run um, you know, possibly her, the boyfriend mentioned, right? It's a bad relationship and everyone can see it, but her. Mm-hmm. And then finally it hits and she has to suffer because she refused to listen to good advice. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Like, um, that is, I love metaphors. I love a, a kind of anvil in the song that doesn't feel anvilicious. And I yeah. love um, creativity, you know, where the music, you know, this is a beach song about an approaching tidal wave. So it hits <laughs> all the high points of the things I love when I look for in a song. Um, you know, some of my favorite songs are like this. So, yeah, that's it's a, why it's I love this song. It's a, it's a Nightmares Beach Boys song. Yeah, I can. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> it's um, it's kind of like the Beach Boys own lives. Poor guys. God, oh god, especially Brian. Oh my god, I Dennis. know, right? Yes, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, um, I'll take the next one. Um, okay, Sky go King, for it. Out across the sky. <laughs> this forget song, man. This song it gets stuck in my head. Like even when I previously in my twenties, I would listen to it. This of all the songs, this on this album, this would get stuck in my head. Um, every time, I, and I listen to it. And I hate it because it's my least favorite song of this album. <laughs> yeah, it's the one I hum the it's the one I hum the most. And like all today, like it's I've been singing the course all day long. Um it's such a well-written song and, and it's it's a great song, it's very catchy, especially the chorus. And um the reason I don't like this song that much is because musically it's it's the one song in this album that's most similar to the first two Daniel Amos songs. And I should hate it, but I don't. The lyrics are so over the top, blatantly Christian, and they're not as poetic as songs like um, Walls of Doubt, a central theme that'll be on the next album, um, Alarma. Um, although God being the Sky King is a great metaphor, however, mm, um, there's some good um, guitar moments, but nothing game changing here. And, and it's just a testament to Terry and the Boys and um, ingenuity and creativity that me now being agnostic and being told turned off to not um overtly christian lyrics that i can still hum and appreciate this song even though i know i shouldn't like it two and a half stars number nine least favorite song in this album okay i feel like this song starts a run of three songs that are the weakest songs on the album let me Uh, see if i with my oh Maybe, maybe not. That's funny. Okay, but go ahead. Um, the metaphor of Sky King out across the sky, that is fun. Um, man, this feels like it's Abbey Road. Like, th- here comes the sun, or they even have a, a song called The Sun King. Um, like, it just oh, wow. it feels so much like they listened to Abbey Road and said, hey, let's write a Christian version of that. Wow. Um, and it's also sort of a worship song. Um, the echoey keyboards are fun at first because I love um, the Wurlitzer. It's my favorite I keyboard. Do. I do um, love it. And this kind of has that sound. And it's fun at first, but somehow halfway through the song, like I should like the song, but it starts dragging. It just, and I don't have anything against slow songs. I, I hear some slow songs and I like them. I love them. But this song just starts dragging halfway through and it's yeah. only three minutes long. <laughs> Yeah, and it feels like um, it's slow. And I think, you know, like I said, um, using the metaphor of the Sky King as, as a metaphor for God is cool, but it just drags and takes me out of the song. And also, like I said, it just reminds me, it feels like a Christian parody of the Beatles. And I don't know. 
Which is it's not a, good. Yeah. Because like, I hate the Beatles anyway. <laughs> yeah, I love the Beatles. But, like, um, I don't know if you ever listened to a band named Apologetics. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where fun. they just make straight-up parodies. And some of them are hilarious. I, I'm not going to lie. But this is, like, kind of reminds me too much of that for me to take it oh, seriously. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, we both agree we don't like this song. Okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. When do you want me to go next? I, I got this. All right. Okay. This song is... So, this song I consider weak. Oh, it's so catchy. This song used like to get Sky King. <laughs> this song used to get stuck. I when I first bought this album, this song would get stuck in my head for days at a time. And all I could do is I'd just be walking around going on the line. Mm-hmm. I'd just be walking around my house doing that. I'm pretty sure I drove my parents nuts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> most earwormy song on the album, as far as I'm concerned. Um the the doo-wop melody is a lot of fun and it's super engaging um but somewhere this song just feels so cheesy i have to take it as goofy fun because if i try to take it seriously i lose it um particularly when they get into like um what is it they say they're like I try. I'm trying to talk to you right now. You turned the Beatles and said, um, "Why would you settle for strawberry fields?" Yep. And I'm just like, now you're just dating yourself. I mean, um, granted, the Beatles are still excessively popular now, and most people would probably recognize a reference to strawberry fields. And, even then, people are still, even rappers are referencing the Beatles today. So, yeah. So <laughs> I guess they save themselves on that, but it just yeah. it takes me out of it, you know. <laughs> Um, and then the saxophone solo feels cheesy. I, I very rarely hear a saxophone solo that doesn't take me out of a song. I don't know why the eighties had an obsession with saxophone solos, but I just, the Beach Boys are Coma, um, Coma, I can never say that. Kokomo. Kokomo, Yeah. Sax in that too. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but I hardly noticed the sax in that one because the chorus is too catchy, but (laughs) Um, I don't know. It's just it's an it's a goofy song that I can accept on the level I accept like Carmen songs as just cheesy fun that I don't have to take seriously. Uh, no, it's you not that I mean? bad, Sam. Okay, it's not that bad, but still, <laughs> it's somewhere around that level for me. Okay, go ahead. All right. So last one was number nine, my ninth favorite. This is my seventh favorite. So you said the the three weeks. Let's see what the next song's gonna be. So. Nine and seven. Um, I love the UFO intro um, sounding thing that um, morphs into a drum solo at the beginning. That's really good. Um, lyrics here remind me of the lyrics in the um, song Shotgun Angel um, from the last album. Got talking to someone through some communication device that was popular at the time. Here it's the telephone. I don't care about these lyrics. They're, you're right, they're cheesy lyrics. Um, yeah. It's, it's funny, this is the second time where the band dis well, Terry, he writes the lyrics, he disses the Beatles when he's gone on record so many times and the Beatles <laughs> were and continue to be like a huge influence on his music. So I don't understand like why they continue to bash the Beatles. It's like, you pick someone else, like, <laughs> you love them. I think it was just a popular thing, for, especially for like the Christian community to do back then. Yeah. Just bash on the Beatles. It was just a popular thing to do, and it kind of <laughs> bled over. <laughs> Just like, yeah, the punk scene in the early 80s, you, you bag on the Ramones to be cool. Yeah, I got it. But still, you've gone on the record many times saying how much they've influenced you. So it's, he set up for Strawberry Fields. What is he doing? <laughs> That's all I'm saying. And, it, and, and I'm with you, too. So it's a very cheesy song and everything. And it's just so weird. And it's just like, like I'm not going to say what my favorite song is, but we'll get to it. But the song, I barely, I, like, when I think of the song, I don't remember the lyric. I, like, have to think about the melody the lyrics to sing it whereas like this one i'm with you too on the line with sam all day every day and sky king alakaska i sing those songs over again they come to me clearly but the and even hound of heaven which i mentioned is my second favorite i have to think about that and it's so weird that like the whatever the catchiness 
I guess that's why people write catchy songs because if you just write a bunch of good songs and nobody can remember, you're not gonna make money. So you need to have these cheesy, catchy songs. So maybe this was on purpose. <laughs> because here we are. Um, anyway, I mean, don't get me wrong. If this song would have made it to CCM Radio in 1981, it would have been a hit, and it would have been better than most of what was on there. That's a good point too. Well, <laughs> not most, all of it. It would have been better than all. Of it. I mean, Keith Green was on CCM in 1981, and yes. I respect him. So, Keith yeah, Green. This, I would take this song over any. I'm trying to think of maybe "Make Your Life a Prayer," but outside of that, I think I would take this song over any Keith Green song, to be honest. Yeah, I would. But all right. Um all right. I'm just saying I know okay, so the um the reggae S interlude at two minutes and seventeen seconds is great. Wish it was longer though, it's too short. Um I love the harmonica or accordion, whatever that is in there. The outro that is started by the drums at four oh eight, it's a great way um to make the song feel like it's have its own sound because like none of these songs was coupled well no yeah none of these songs really felt like they are the same and so had that net had that drum part i think this would have sounded too much like i don't know the next song or a song after that but seventh favorite song like i said two and a half stars that's enough for on the line i believe in you sam and i believe you can go ahead and give us an amazing review of the song go ahead maybe i don't normally like rank the songs but this might be my least favorite song on the album Mm -hmm. um now don't get me wrong the core idea of the song it you have to be a very specific type of person to relate to it um Mm -hmm. sometimes as a christian you sincerely feel like you have no reason to believe in god anymore but you choose to believe anymore and i've i've been there several times in my life where i'm like you know what I don't know what I believe, but I'm just going to I'm just going to will myself to keep believing this until I feel it again. Mm-hmm. Um, I relate to that a lot, but I also know that that's a very niche audience that's going to relate to that feeling at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like the uh, the production of this song feels so cheesy and so forgettable. Like this song, I can barely I vaguely recall the course but i can i have trouble remembering this one it just feels like the worst the 70s has been offered <laughs> um it just doesn't stick with me and i'm just kind of like eh. so yeah that's that's this i it's the song i have the least amount to say about because just nothing about it really sticks with me um yeah all right so you're right, Sam. This Sky King, this one, and um, On the Line are the three worst songs because this is my eighth favorite song. <laughs> so we got nine, seven, and eight in a row. That's hilarious. We're we're like five on this album, man. That's crazy. Um, it's another Cowboy Daniel Amos song, which, as you know, I'm not a fan of. Well, gospel country. Um, I I love the soft production of the song though. Normally, '70s production, the sound sounds dated and hokey to me. But the song, it sounds like the Beatles, the Beach Boys did a country song, so it's good. Um, but that '70s production, it's just it's like watching a movie from the '50s. Like I just can't. My eyes and ears don't like it. The orchestral flourishes really help this song shine. Again, there's these percuss- percussive instruments, wood blocks, and some other things. I think in the background. They add technicolor to this drab color of a song. Um, musically, this is a safe song for Daniel Amos. They're such a great, they're such great musicians that, I mean, even though it's, uh, if anybody else played this song, it would have been terrible and I would have hated it, but it's all right. Um, so it's it's kind of artful. It's a little, yeah, I got a little something, something to it. Two and a half stars. And like I said, my eighth favorite song on this album. All right. All right, now well, let's get back into that loving feeling, Sam. <laughs> All right, let's let's get into now that we're through that. I feel like the kind of weak stretch. Yeah. Um. Tell me yeah, how you I feel agree. about this um song about Colts. Apparently, Man in the Moon. <laughs> um. Yeah. So yeah, we mentioned that um earliest origin about Colts and um the lyrics talk about a person being seduced by a cult. Um. Um. The guitar. Oh yeah. The guitar. A minute thirty-seven seconds. Clean. Beautiful. Um, when that guitar solo starts, um, there's a tambourine that comes in a few seconds later and just 
It's amazing. I, I love all the little flourishes in the background of this album. So let me just point that out again. Like, and that's important. Like when you listen, if you listen to this album on headphones, you'll really pick up a lot of um, stuff that I mean, you may or may not have heard before. So that's really cool. Um, this sounds like Keith Green doing a Beatles song to me. Um, I love Jerry's vocals. Um, he doesn't take the lead a lot on Daniel Lehman's songs, but I really like like his voice here. And um, Three Stars, my fourth favorite song on this album. I really like it. Okay. So this song, initially at least, maybe it's just the bouncy piano intro, but also some of the production on it, reminds me a lot of Mr. Blue Sky by uh, ELO, Electric Lights Orchestra. Um, so it just kind of has that fun sort of experimental um, production, and I really appreciate that. Um, and I like just – this is going to sound – I just like the title, Man in the Moon. Like I don't even have to know what it's about. But that like title, man, <laughs> but like man on the moon, REM. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's one of my favorite REM songs, right? Like it's a good song. Um, but just I'm so, a man on the moon. <laughs> um, yeah. Did you know REM was was uh, inspired by Daniel Amos? <laughs> Probably. Who was it? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, you too was. You know that? Are you familiar with that? Yes, yes. Um, okay. I hope it was. We uh, talked about that. Have we talked about we, that? We have, yeah. It was the drummer, right? Larry Mullen Jr.? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. We, we so should totally maybe. get Larry Mullen on the pod to talk about Daniel uh, Amos. Spoilers, Sam. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad to know now that this song is talking about a cult because I was – okay, so I'm just going to read my original notes. Mm-hmm. Without that context – I'm like, I follow this song pretty good. You know, the first verse is talking about a dream or wanting to escape from reality. And the the second verse alludes to the death and resurrection of Jesus. But then there's the line, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, which is, you know, Wizard of Oz classic way of saying something is false. And I was so confused. But Mm -hmm. now that I know it's about a cult, that all clicks together. You know, I want to escape from reality. And, you know, yeah. the man behind the curtain is using something, I think, I believe, to entice yep. me. Yeah. Makes so much more sense now. It's lyrically beautiful. I love it. Yeah, no. Um, now that I have that context, it honestly raises how much I like the song up okay. significantly. Yeah. So I'm really happy for that context. Yeah, really. yeah, I know context is everything. And that's why I like when I'm – gosh – I wish every band who ever existed would write stories behind their lyrics because some lyrics, when you don't know what's going on, yeah. It's it's one of those things. Part of me wants to yell death to the author. That is to say, I want stuff to stand on their own. Just read what's in the text and accept it. But other times, I appreciate that context so much that it completely changes the song for me. I think um, it, I think if if they had went with a 3D album, I think it would have been clear because they've written songs about um, Mormonism and um, 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 Jonestown and different things. So I think in the context of that album, I I think it would have been clear. So there's that too. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, tell uh, me, Aaron, what? about how I will never leave you. If you do, I'll kill you. <laughs> um mark cook sings on this i love his vocals they kind of sound like robert um robert roger waters from pink floyd to me um which is fine and he's a good leader, uh, good vocalist this you mentioned like the um the last song you said was kind of bouncy it it's bounce this song's bouncing more beetle vibes here too super catchy i enjoy it every time i hear it and i also say i do sing this song a lot too never that, that that does get stuck in my head a lot. So um, the drum production here reminds me of the drum production on props on the Alarm album. Um, so I I just think of props when I hear the song. Um, I don't really have much other than that. It's a good song, very well written. Two and a half stars, my sixth favorite song on this album. This song, I feel like, falls into... We were talking about with Ronnie over on our um, Blue Collar podcast mm-hmm. about songs that are in that no-man's land sometimes where they are hard to remember just because of where they're placed in the album. Mm-hmm. And this song kind of hits me that way um, where I, I have trouble remembering it, 
but I do appreciate it, especially it's much better than, you know, four or five, six. So, um, that's a good point too. Yeah. Because you're right. Ronnie did um, talk about that. And I think if this song was placed like fifth or fourth, maybe, yeah, I think it would have been a stronger song. I agree. I would have, I would have liked the song, maybe number four, like switch this and sky King. Yeah. And I feel like Sky King after Man on the Moon may actually elevate that song a little bit. I'll listen to it tomorrow. <laughs> Just make that play- custom playlist. Yeah. Um, it's important. This song um, does have some nice psychedelic almost sounds to it. Um, and kind of continues on the some of the musical ideas from Man on the Moon. Mm-hmm. And once again, really niche uh, Christian audience, audience. You know, I can relate to it. Of hey God, I've done some stupid stuff, and now I'm ready to not do that anymore, and I want to try and make it right. Which at least this one you can relate to, you know, if you hurt a person, you know, um, maybe uh, your spouse or a friend, you can come to that back to that person and be like, hey, I'm sorry, I messed up. I promise, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to try and make this right. And um, yeah, yeah. um, it's a. It's not like in my top three or anything for this album, but it's definitely a decent. It's a, it's a decent Middle. song on this album. Gotcha. All right, which brings us to the last, the, the title track, Horrendous Disc. You want to go, Sammy, or you want me to go? Uh, sure, I'll, I'll do this. Um, okay. Horrendous Disc. I am um, the title. We end the album with totally epic title track. Um, and it's just, it's a unique way to end the song. We've talked several times about closing tracks and how you can either go out with a bang or you can go out with more of a cool down song. This yeah. song chooses to go out with a bang and I appreciate it. Me like, too. Yes. We, need, we do not need a slow closer for this album. <laughs> no, no, we, we needed this song to, we needed this. Um, epic. We needed something amazing. And this song, this song is so epic. Um, I think it's interesting though that the closing epic track is about an abusive husband. Um, mm-hmm. Like it's uh, It strikes me as odd for a closing track, but once again, it's. I appreciate the some of the metaphor. In it, especially, you know, you're driving down the road and you see up on the billboard, you're on the stage, you know, because God sees everything. Um, and really just the the idea of we need to be mindful of what we do in private, especially if it's two other people. Um, this is something that everyone should just keep in their head. You know, rather you know you're being watched or not. What if you live life like you were being watched? Would you live life differently? Um so I really appreciate that subject matter. Um, I feel like especially abuse in relationships is something that should be talked about more and isn't always. Yes. Um, and I love the multi-part epic. You know, this is a this is their Bohemian Rhapsody, maybe. Um, That's, and, I That's hilarious. So this is like, this is perfect for a closing track. I, I love it. If, if I didn't already, already like... Um, Tidal Wave so much, this would probably be my favorite track. Go for it, Aaron. Man, Sam, we are we, we are in we are in sync and finally we finally are in sync on an album. Man. Praise, praise God. Um I can tell you I can tell you this is your favorite song. I knew that as soon as I wrote it down. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, I hate this song. Nah, it's my favorite. Yes, yeah, number one. Four stars for me. I love this song. But before we get into all that, I'm going to talk about the lyrics. So I'm listening to it. And the lyrics are kind of, I mean, they're 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 kind of clear because yeah, it's about a musician who's beating his wife, obviously, and the secret's coming out. So, but at the same time, it's up too. So it's like, is he talking about a specific person or is it just like in general? I think it's a specific person, Sam. You don't know who I think it is he's talking about in this song? Oh, dear Lord. I hope it's not someone we have to interview someday. Oh, zero percent chance of that. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> John Lennon. Okay, I can see that because he was known as an abusive person. Mm-hmm. Um, to his spouses, and um, obviously 
they talk about the Beatles and how they're degenerates or whatever sinners. And what greater example of sin than being your wife? And so and I can't wait. I didn't make that connection until today. I, I'm going so to say this one more time before we did it. I was like, oh, my gosh, I think this is John Lennon. <laughs> because up on the billboard, you know, the metaphor, because I'm, I wasn't alive in the 80s, 81. Well, no, I'm sorry. I was alive. I was two, though. <laughs> I was in reading stuff. But I would imagine when that came out, um, I'm sure it came out years before, but I'm sure it was all over the news. And so that I think that's what that, when it says, you know, you're on the news, TV, billboard, they're talking about that because it had to be somebody famous and who was more famous than John Lennon in the world at that time. So anyway, so that's what I think the song's about. Um, so this, I said this is a DA's first rock opera. There'll be more. Um, the mournful notes that open the song let you know it's not going to be a happy song, um, which is great because I love sad, depressing songs are the best. Um, the background vocals are my favorite part. Um, Jerry and Terry, the Ken Jerry and Terry show, they share vocals, they switch off throughout the song. Um, I love it, the minute 15, how the music changes. Um, and again, like I said, like entire wave, I was, and kind of like the, um, band we were talking about before we started tonight, Roadside Monument. They also had no qualms about like changing and basically having three different songs in one song, but somehow making it work. Um, um, so great. Um, at a minute, 29 seconds, there's an example. Another example of how those little percussive flares can add so much depth to a song. And at a minute 38, there's another one. There's a... Um, and, and I mentioned it before, but this song in particular, I recommend you throwing on some headphones, getting quiet, and just getting lost in the awesomeness of the song. Um, there are strains and different sounds. There's a lot going on in the background. The outro is so stupid good. Um, the drums and the background vocals just play, paint a bleak, sonic landscape that is horrendous and menacing. Um, the next four Daniel Amos albums will explain that dark, dark subject matter. So I see this song as like, okay, whether it's John Lennon or not, there's sin and there's pain in this world and the world's hurting. This is what horrendous, the song Horrendous Disc is about. And now the next four albums, they're going to explain why that's, that's happening and how to fix that. So I, this is like a great, like, so I love you 19 is like a great introduction of, okay, this is our thesis statement. This is where we're going. And now horrendous, this is like, all right, now this is where we're going. This is okay. So this is now the outline of where we're going. This is the, so we have the mission statement. Now this is the action plan. And, and, um, it's a great way to officially end the cowboy era of Daniel Amos. It, they burnt the cowboy hats completely and moved forward. Um, love the song. Um, and like I said, I have to think about the lyrics that make it come in my head, get the melody, but I love it. And that is horrendous disc, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Um, unless my, you want to, unless I, I never. To, go ahead. Oh, the bonus tracks and the. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we'll skip over that because yes. th you're right. This album has so many bonus tracks, so many demos. Yeah. Um, I'll kind of say the same thing we said about the 40th anniversary edition of the first album. Yeah. Uh, maybe someday, if we ever feel like we're lacking in material, we'll go back and revisit. But for now, just check them out. Totally worth a listen. Yeah. Um, Especially I, the I do. It's so good. <laughs> I was listening to some of the bonus tracks even on Apple Music, and they're they're pretty good. Um, they are some songs I almost wish was on this album in place of other songs. So the wonder, um, view, the wonder view, Cinema Girl, and Talk. Oh man, those things are so good. <laughs> so, all right, final <laughs> overall on this album. Um, once again, Daniel Amos takes another this time a huge, drastic leap forward, um, improving on everything about them. They just they said, okay, I don't know if this was just because um they weren't on maranatha records anymore so they felt more free to experiment and try new things i don't know if um they just became better songwriters if uh, maybe they felt more empowered having a full band and not just being an acoustic band anymore but they moved so far forward and this is you're right this is a good this is the transition album between their old stuff in Alarma. And it's a shame that it got delayed so much because people were probably so confused 
if they picked up Alarma before this, they're like, whoa, is this 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 can't be the same band? Yeah, because um, <laughs> I definitely got Alarma before. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, so this this album is essential as a transition album. Um, however, as much as I want it to be, it's not a perfect outing. No. Um, songs like Sky King and Believe in You take me out a little. Just yep. too slow, drag the same sound. But then you have songs with great imagery like Tidal Wave and the title track, and those swing the it completely the other way for me. And I'm like, man, these songs are near perfect. And I love you nineteen. That's and I love you number nineteen. Yeah, for years that was honestly my favorite track until I, um, you know, really started appreciating the metaphors and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I. So it has. This is the this is the album that has some of their best songs and some of their most mess songs. Um, yeah. Even their worst songs on this, like I believe in you, I still say are better than anything off of their debut album for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and something I didn't talk about enough, vocal harmonies on this. Pretty much the whole entire band yes. was in on the vocal right. harmonies. Yes. And this right. rivals some of the best vocal harmonies of the 70s. I yes. love it. Um, so this album, I give the music a two. Um, it wasn't like, once again, those highlights mixed with the down down ones, right? Mm-hmm. lyrics yeah. once again i give it two um and overall i give it a two so this is a six out of nine for me um i i was worried i was giving it too high initially but when compared to their first two albums i think six out of nine is acceptable um, that's yeah. right about where this album falls for me I, i'm glad you mentioned the vocal harmonies you're right because that's like the and and that and th- throughout the whole career of daniel it's like the one thing even though they changed um the styles though the constant is um been strong song songs but um terry's lyrics are always going to be good and the vocal harmonies are rivaled beach boys i mean they're yes and yeah we would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge that yes that's one of the strong suits in this album and all their albums um so for me um music's a one still dated um outside of um Horrendous Disc um, and Tidal Wave. Yeah, I say I Love You 19. It's it's just not, it's pretty dated. Um, lyric is Terry. So, I mean, like the, the even like I mentioned, like Sky King, even I can't stand it, um, the lyrics because of, but even that metaphor, God being Sky King, is still enough to be creative. And I think, oh, that's pretty cool. Um, so the lyrics are two. Um, how it stands over time. It's like a one, so I don't know. So I, I, I think overall, I mean, it's going to be like a five for me. Okay, fair enough. That um, I'm so glad I can say that because now that we're done, it's going to be nothing but high praise and like tens, like perfect songs and perfect albums, and except for one album, which I'm not going to ruin, but there is one. But for the next like seven albums, it's going to be nothing but high praise. <laughs> so I'm so glad we're done now. <laughs> Yeah, this is um, also after this, we're going to start, I think, after this album. Let me look really quick. I'm I pretty sure the, after this yeah. is, okay, after this we have the Alarma Chronicles. Yeah, um, and, and Terry's first solo. And Terry's first album, yes. His his first album falls somewhere in here. I think I it's not find it. I think it's like 86, so like. I think it's at bef- after what's that? Um, it's before Fearful Symmetry, I believe. I think it's before Fearful Symmetry. It's yeah, I. Um, I think eighty six is correct. Is when we get so it's right at the same after. time as yeah. Fearful Symmetry. So we'll probably review it after we get done with the Alarma quadrilogy. <laughs> and you know what? You know what's even before that though. What? The Rapsers. Really? That early? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're going to have to find a special guest. So I'm not doing that. <laughs> oh, you will do the Rapsers and you will love uh-huh. it. And, and, I will, and I will draw the ire of Terry and everybody involved because I will not have <laughs> one good thing to say about it. <laughs> All right. Oh, you'll find something good. I'm sure. 
Yeah. But Guys. Yeah. But, but yeah, I'm so glad that we're done now. We can get the Lorma Chronicles and get to some amazing art and music to really shape my life. And it's going to be great. Yeah. Um, mm. I, I will say on parting, this album really shaped a whole lot of, I think I can thank this album for getting me into the Beatles. Honestly. Um, because I, I, I was like, Ooh, that, that old school rock, I can really get into that. Um, yeah. Also, but and also, I want to I want to also mention too that um, I know we had Larry Norman and Randy Stone and some other people, but a lot of Christian um, independent underground Christian artists like Starfire Fifty Nine, the whole you know um, early the nineties um, Christian indie Christian bands. A lot of them point to Daniel Lamas as being an influence on them and lend them to put art first. And not having to just sing love songs to Jesus. And this album probably, I mean, you mentioned Abbey Road, but it probably had the same effect on those, on that whole scene in the 90s as Abbey Road did um, to a lot of people. And so this album does have a very special place, I'm sure, in a lot of people's hearts because it let, gave them courage and um, proof that, they, you know, you can be artistic and um, that's you don't have to sacrifice faith to be creative and vice versa so so yeah this is a seminal album in the history of music and especially christian music for sure yeah and we'll talk more as we go along about how much daniel amos had an influence on not only christian but alternative music like yeah yeah they're up there too (laughs) it's crazy so yeah (laughs) all right well, guys, um, thank you so much for listening to us ramble. We appreciate you so much. If any of you guys want to be super kind and throw a like some star ratings or a review on Apple Music or whatever podcast hosting site you listen to, I would super appreciate it. So Helps other people maybe discover Daniel Amos. Yes. Yes, and we really do appreciate that. And, yeah, we're appreciative for you listening and for your kind words. It's a labor of love and and do it for the love of the music and for the musicians. All right. Well, with that, good night, Sam. Good night. Good night, Aaron. And good night, everyone. As always, this has been a Brothers King Media production. Bye.